In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Welcome, listeners, to this week's edition of Moving Forward. I'm your host, Kristen Nepper, and today my guest is Vanessa Candioti. Vanessa is a jewelry designer and a coach. Vanessa, first of all, I want to thank you for being with us today. Hello. Hi. Hi. So let's go ahead and get started. Now, the first question I have for you is, how did you become an entrepreneur? I did an internship when I was about 25 years old with, uh, in a microcredit company where they were giving loans for women to start a business. And I also come from a family of entrepreneurs. And after that internship and seeing all those women doing it by themselves, I was inspired to get my own business started. Well, it's interesting because you come from a legal background, right? And you grew up in Europe. So tell us a little bit about that and why you decided to go into law and then why you decided to get out of law. So yeah, I'm, um, I, I was born and raised in Belgium. I'm originally Turkish Jewish. Okay. And um, law was, yeah, it was interesting to me. And uh, I initially wanted to study anthropology, but it was kind of my way to be able to study in London and make my father happy, who was paying for my studies. That's the truth of the matter. Right. Um, it was an interesting education, yet very hard for for me. My need to interact with people and to, you know, being an extrovert, and you know, I was stuck in my room studying for a long time. And so that was my, my difficulty. Um, and after my studies, I, I saw clear and I was like, that's it. I can't, I, I, I'm grateful for my learning, for acquiring more structure in my thinking and the way I approach a problem. Yet I can't do that professionally because I don't have the patience for it. And yeah, I won't be great at it. I just knew it. I think that's an important insight uh, at a very early age. My question is, how did that conversation go with your father when you said, yes, I have this degree, but I don't think this is something I want to go into? I think I had just gotten to a stage where it was not about having that conversation anymore. I was clear. Uh-huh. And, and now with hindsight and with experience, I realized that whenever I am clear about something, there's no, you know, I can explain why I feel clear, but that's pretty much the end of the story. So it's an intuition rather than an explanation. Yeah. And, you know, people don't question you so much when you are clear. Mm, I think that's a really important lesson. And I know the reason I wanted you to tell that story is I know there are probably a lot of listeners out there. And I think we all do it. I know my mother pushed me to go to law school where we're pleasing another family member. It might be, you know, education, I think, is never a bad thing. But you have to be clear in your own mind. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. And I think have the self-confidence to realize that the only person who needs to know that truth is you. And I think you do that very, very well. And in Europe, you choose what you're going to study at 18 years old. So you don't have to, you know, do a undergrad in order to get into law school. So, you know, at 18 years old, to be honest with you, I didn't know any better. So, yeah. And none of us do, right? I, 18 is really young. It is. It is. Definitely. 
So how did you decide to become a jewelry designer? What led you to those steps? Because those are pretty opposite ends of the spectrum in my mind, legal studies, jewelry yeah. designer. So um, I don't consider myself as a designer per se, because I am a creative director of my jewelry brand where I know what I want to do. I know how to put it together, but I don't sit for hours drawing. I have visions and I have uh, inspiration about how I want to put it together. And then I work with people in Istanbul who enable me to create my jewelry. And, you know, we go back and forth, back and forth until I have a clear picture of what I want to create. And um, that's pretty much how I work. In terms of um, why jewelry, I always love jewelry. And after my studies, I worked for two and a half years with my family in textile trading. And from there, I decided to go and backpack. And I fell in love with the healing powers of stones and was always wearing jewelry from a young age, stones and all this. But then it really hit me that I have to do something with stones. And, and uh, I came back from my trip and everybody would comment on, you know, the, the, the kind of craft I had gotten from Latin America and how I would put it together. And I started a collection and, and it took off quite rapidly. Okay, there's a lot there that I want to unpack. But the first question I have for you, you mentioned, and we had had a conversation earlier, and you had said this as well, the healing power of stones. What do you mean by that? Can you give a little bit of background for our audience? Yes. Um, so every stone, um, you know, has properties that are healing for anyone who would, who would, you know, depending on the purity of the stone, how you apply it, where you apply it. For example, you know, you know the the seven chakras. Yes. Um, my latest collection, for example, was about that. Every chakra has a color, has a location, has a sound, and has stones associated with it, as well as a, a certain design, a certain shape. So I base myself on those designs, which I interpreted in my way, and every chakra, and I did, you know, every piece of jewelry according to each chakra it was representing was in accordance with the stone it matched. For example, the heart chakra with an emerald, you know, landing on the place where, you know, the chakra lands. So for me, this, you know, it really works. And I would wear my heart chakra necklace with my emerald landing on my heart. And I feel calmer and I feel more connected. So let's go ahead and talk. The other thing I wanted to talk about was you mentioned you went backpacking. You went to Latin America. Was there anything that drew you there? How did you transition from working was there a, um, what's the word I want to use? Was there kind of a, a breakdown moment? Was there any, you know, yeah. come to Jesus? Okay, that led you to to leave the textile trade and go on this journey. Yeah, I was, um, I was working with my family. So these are the people I love the most yet I and I was doing well at it. But I felt deeply unhappy. I was anxious. I was bulimic. And um, a friend of mine saw me, and he's quite older, and he said, you don't look well, what, what's up? And, and he offered me to come with him to Thailand to do a fast. So I had my suppliers in Thailand, so I managed to 
mix uh, pleasure and business. But I started with an eight days fast in Koh Samui. It was a juice fast. And I took my decision on my seventh day of fasting, which allows, allowed me to feel, you know, very sensitive and to gain much clarity. And, and that what made me decide to stop working with my family. And on my way out of Bangkok, I was in the elevator in the airport and I saw some, a woman in the elevator who looked very similar to me with a backpack and radiating. And I just asked her and I said, have you been backpacking alone? And she said, yeah, it was the greatest gift I could have done for myself. And mm. I knew what was on next and why Latin America, because uh, it was either India or Latin America. And I felt like I was not strong enough to go to India by myself, okay. first okay. of all, and um, and I and I and I wanted to know more about the Latin culture. And that was it. Had you ever done a fast like that before, or done no. a retreat such as that before? No. Wow. So it sounds like in both instances, it was just paying attention to your intuition and when the signs. I've heard Gabby Bernstein say, "When the book falls off the shelf, don't ignore it. Pick it up." And it sounds like you did just that. Yeah, and I truly believe that the fasting is fasting, you know, doing it, you know, in my case, I've done it, you know, I've done juice fasting, I've never done it for more than eight days, but um, it's really, it gives me clarity, and it does that to a lot of people, yeah. I've never done that. I, I think to a lot of our listeners, that may sound extreme and I know just even hunger pains if you don't eat for a few hours or even a day how do you push past that I think um first of all I was lucky enough to do it in uh, in Thailand where you know everybody's fasting in one place I don't have to think about anything for the first two days it was hard but then you just you just feel You know, you have ups and downs. You need to take it slow. I take it slow. I think everybody, everybody is so different, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I know some people who who can do a lot of things on on a fast. And my blood pressure gets really low. So I need to take it slow. And, and, uh, you know, some bodies are not meant to fast either, I believe. So it really depends on how you feel and what you're drawn to. But in my case, I have an easier time doing it, you know, in some kind of structure. Otherwise, I've done um, three or four days fasts in Brussels, uh, where I live right now. And yeah, I tried to, and it was fine. I think that's an important lesson too. just having a structured environment where other people are supporting you. And as you said, paying attention to what your body needs and the signs that are in front of you. If it's not something you're called to do, don't go do it just because it's the latest craze that it's something that might speak to a few people, but not everyone. When I do it in Brussels, it's juice fast and I'll sometimes do it for one day and they deliver it to your home and you know, they're big juices, vegetable juices. And you know, you're, you drink every three hours and you just don't feel hungry. Yeah. So let's, speaking of feeling hungry and eating disorders and that type of thing, I wanted to, you mentioned your struggle with bulimia and I wanted to talk to you about that because I think that is unfortunately something that is very common to women. I know I've struggled with bulimia myself. So how did that manifest for you and how did you overcome that disease? It manifested from a very young age. I think it was, for me, about not being able to handle pressure. Peer pressure? No, probably um, 
family pressure of being a certain way. I think, you know, I don't know what triggered it exactly, why some people can handle, you know, the same pressure and others won't, will just feel, feel overwhelmed. And I'm, I'm sensitive and I react easily. And, and that was kind of my way of, of checking out. Mm. And, um, and, um, Sadly, you know, at first probably it's you find your comfort with food and then and then you find no comfort. And it lasted a long time for me. I always used laxatives, never threw up. And um, and I believe that it's hard to really get over it. So um, as as healthy as I am right now, I often feel like you know, I will be conscious that I can act like I can do different things, but with a bulimic mind, such as, you know, wanting to overdo or want it all and then purge kind of, you know, just yeah. different yes. ways of being. And, um, yeah, I just have to be very mindful about this. How did you, How did you heal? heal? How did I heal? Oof. By taking my time, by journaling, by doing therapy, by by trying on different things, by giving myself love, mm-hmm. most importantly. I think it's a lot about that. Your answer was so thoughtful, and you've had a lot of things that you said where it's kind of led me back to you being patient with yourself, you being loving with yourself, and you listening to your intuition. And I know that's an important part of your decision-making process, but the question I have for you is how did you find that voice? And for other people out there who are interested in doing that, maybe it's been hidden by family pressures, by social pressures. How did you find that voice and what would you recommend others as far as cultivating that? I think uh, intuition is a muscle. Mm. We all have it. I'm truly and utterly sure about that. Um, it's, you need to practice it's practice, it's trial and error, it's, okay, I, my intuition tells me that, try, and then you'll see what comes up, try with small things first, and then bigger things, but it's really uh, about trusting yourself, and it's a muscle that needs to be strengthened. Um, so I hear my intuition often when I quiet myself down, when I'm still, and I could even hear it in movement sometimes, but I often hear it when I, I feel something is not right. Mm-hmm. You just know, your body knows when something is not right. And I know that's one of my earliest memories as far as listening to my own intuition. And ironically, we were speaking about the law. It was when I um, was making a decision as to which law firm to work at. And even though on paper everything looked copacetic, I just knew it was the wrong choice. And... I didn't listen, and that was a big lesson as far as not uh, making that same mistake twice. Exactly. I like that. So let me ask you, are you spiritual or religious, and what is the difference to you? So I'm Jewish. Um, I don't come from a religious family at all, but we're traditional. Hence, we respect three holidays a year in the Jewish religion. I don't eat kosher. Um, yet I love to host a Friday night dinner once in a while. So no, I'm not religious. Am I spiritual? Yes. Um, I believe there is something 
out there higher than ourselves. We all have a, you know, I believe that it's all linked. Um, I believe in spirits as well. Mm. I do too. And when I am, you know, when I am being kind to myself and doing my daily meditation practice and journaling, I really connect to what's out there. I feel more connected and I can sense that, you know, it is special. So, yeah. So you mentioned meditation and you mentioned journaling. What are your other spiritual practices or what does it look like? How much time do you devote daily? Is it something you mentioned building a muscle? Is it something you devote time to daily every other day? What does that look like for you? I I devote time to it daily. When I'm very tired, it's very difficult for me to meditate. Yeah. Yet when I'm in a good place, I'll take about, I'll do when I don't have a lot of time, 20 minutes meditation daily. When I have a bit more time, I do half an hour. But that happens less less often, Mm. tell you the truth. And I journal, I write two pages minimum in my journal every day. And I have this huge, beautiful journal that says my life stories that was gifted to me. And yeah, I just, even when I travel and I don't take it with me because it's really heavy, I'll keep the pages I've journaled and just stick it in there, you know, stapled it in. I don't know, I like it. I really do like it. Hey, Moving Forward listeners, if you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of the Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com. I like that. I think that there's something different. I have written both, you know, uh, scripting, handwriting things, and then also on a computer. And I think there's something really lovely in seeing your own handwriting and and going through that process. Yeah, I draw as well in my journal. And it's really about allowing it to to have everything at the same time in it, not judging it, not... I haven't reread anything I've written for the moment. Oh, I think that's such an important lesson because some people will go back and they'll read it and they'll say, oh, I didn't use the correct grammar or this doesn't make any sense or how does this feeling make any sense in this situation? I think that's a huge lesson. I just had an aha when you said that. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Yeah, for me, it's really about letting go. And I think, too, what you said earlier about being still, there are so many people I know, professionals, they're leading busy lives, but they will say to me, I just, I'm not one of those people who can be still. And I feel like when they say it, it's almost as though it's a weakness to be still, that you're not doing enough, that you're not driving hard enough. So how did you give yourself permission to be still? Can I, uh, let me break it to you. Yeah. Yeah. I used to be the biggest traveler in my entire, you know, social circle, professional circle, hand in hand with bulimia. I think what was allowing me to to not be bulimic was when I would travel and I would be with other people. And so, you know, and not stay with what, you know, with what really, with what was uncomfortable. And um, 
So, yeah, I was a professional traveler, and I just got tired. I think I was ready to change my story. In my case, I was ready to change my story. I started, the more work I was doing on myself, the more I realized that often I found reasons to travel, you know. Like you were avoiding something, you mean? Yeah, and I was linking it with work, and in hindsight, I didn't need probably half of those travels that I did, I did it because I wanted to do it. And it was just my way of, of, you know, getting away. And that's the truth. And then I just grew tired and I realized I wanted to be still. It's so interesting. I have one of my yoga teachers who he will make us before we go into Shavasana, curl up in this tight, tight ball and give us time to clench every single muscle, including our forehead and our jaw and our toes until we are able to know its opposite, as he says, and relax into Shavasana. And it sounds like that was something that you did. And I know a lot of people actually that kind of come to that place in their spiritual practice where they clench, 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 and they drive, drive, drive until they can't take it anymore and they have to know the opposite. Yeah. And this year was for me about knowing the opposite. Mm, I like that a lot. So what would you say that you do best? I know what I would say you do best, but I want to hear it from you. (laughs) What do you say I do best, Kirsten? You're a very patient person. You bring your point of view across in a very loving way. You never detract from your position or pull back. You're very steadfast in it, but it doesn't ever have to be forced. That's so kind. I think you're, yeah, thank you. It's very true. Not to put myself down, but patience has never been one of my best side. But I'm patient, more patient with others than I am with myself. I think it's always like that. Mm, yeah. Um, so I, um, I think one of my strong points is that I'm, I know there are always solutions. And maybe this is why I started mixing my, my, I started doing coaching for women who wanted to start a, a creative woman who wanted to start a brand and a business, product-based business. And that came from friends starting to ask me how I started my brand. And then I created a group of uh, women, you know, first it was with girlfriends that didn't work out, then one day I was like, okay, I'll figure it out, but it has to be with women I don't know. And I put an ad on Meetup, and that's where I really came into my power. And, you know, I had 20 women showing up every other Wednesday night in London, where I used to be. And I realized that my strength maybe was, you know, bringing all those women around the table, finding finding um, links, finding similarities, because I think we, you know, we're all very similar at the end of the day, and, and empowering them, not without, you know, telling them what to do, but by, you know, learning tools and, and by believing in them. And I often have my clients tell you, you know, what they like the most is how strong I believe in them. And I truly do, because I believe it's really possible to make it happen for yourself. I'm experiencing it. I've experienced it. And, and I've seen other people do it. Yeah. Mm, I like that. What would you say is the hardest thing that has happened to you? And how did you overcome it? So the hardest thing that happened to me was about... Three and a half years ago, I had a big breakup 
And then in order to protect myself and not feel much of the pain, mostly because I wanted to protect myself, um, I decided to buy a home. I decided I had I employed I was I decided to employ two girls full time working for my for me to uh, apply for um, an anthropology masters at for in a university in London and I also started dating very rapidly the man who I thought you know was the man of my dreams who I had fancied for a long time so uh a few months later, I realized that all those things that came through and that I thought would make me happy um, were not making me happy. And the hardest thing for me was to realize that I can manifest easily, but it's not necessarily what makes me happy. So that was a bit of a shock to my system. Huh. So I love the way you said it when we first talked, where you said, huh, I got everything that I wanted and I still wasn't happy. So what do you think drew you to these things that were outside of what would really fulfill you in your heart? Because maybe that's the way I really thought things functioned. I was such a doing person. Yeah. You know, I thought, okay, if I get the house, I get the boyfriend, I get the business, I get the masters. These are all things that I believe I still do want eventually. And I, and you know, part of it I have now and um, I'd be happy. And, and I just realized that I did not listen to myself. I did not allow my body to mourn a relationship, which, you know, two and a half months later, when I was already in a new relationship, head inside, I started realizing, I went on a holiday with my family and suddenly slowed down and I started feeling all the pain that I had pushed down and ah yeah when I had to be at in my new home for my move the girls would call me in the office and it was it was um yeah it was intense it was it was really intense I got overwhelmed and yeah I was mean to myself and to you know to the person I was dating you know I I I thought I couldn't believe that, you know, this wasn't right. Right. That makes sense. And it's interesting what you say, you know, once I slowed down, I was able to feel that pain. That's something I think that a lot of people we were talking about earlier, when they drive, 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 they're running away from themselves and what it is that they ultimately need to heal from. Yeah, exactly. Mm, I like that. We also mentioned, um, you know, you weren't being very nice to yourself. And that leads me to uh, one of my final questions. One of my favorite quotes is, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. So what is your battle today? Mm, that's a nice quote. My battle today. So I'm, um, I started writing a book about my coaching because I realized that I kept on repeating similar things to my clients about how to, you know, show their work, approach buyers, center and so yeah I decided to write a book called The Jewel Process and I think my hardest battle right now is finishing it. I know what that's like. (laughs) Oh very hard. Yeah. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna not do it. I'm determined to finish it. But 
that it's yeah procrastination can be a bitch sorry for <laughs> That's totally fine because it's very, very true. So, and I think that's a lesson that shows up for all of us. Maybe not writing a book, but it's, you know, whatever your latest goal happens to be. I think all of our listeners probably face that. I really do believe that anything, we could make anything get in the way. You know, there is always something that is going to come in the way. And it's really about setting your priorities straight sitting down and say, okay, I have to do this. I need to not put stuff in my day, at least for four days a week. Educate myself six hours writing or five hours and doing it a certain way. But otherwise, you know, I'll get nothing done. I'm the best at getting online, walking around, going to the gym. I could go have lunch even. And, you know, I need to make a living. I And I want to... I want to realize what, you know, and achieve what I, I started doing. And I know that when I write it, I feel very happy. I think that's a really important lesson. It's funny, this summer I had committed to myself to going to yoga for 90 days straight. And there was a lot I had to give up and um, reschedule and rework in order to achieve that. And making yourself a priority for whatever reason, I think, especially as a female, is never an easy thing to do. Do you have any advice for our listeners or any tricks where you are able to put yourself first and shut down that? I call it the gremlin in the back of our head that's always saying, you know, you need to help this person. You need to do that. You need to do this for others. How could you, you know, not, you know, do this before you go to yoga or sit down and write or what have you? We can't do it all. Mm, yeah. That we cannot do it all. I, you know, I mentioned it. I've been bulimic. So my thing is to do it all, to have it all. But we can't. I can't personally. And I see a lot of women trying to do a lot of things and then it just takes a toll on you. So um, my biggest advice is, to listen to yourself, to check in with yourself. How do I feel? And to get to know yourself. You know, being more conscious about it, I realize that I'm sensitive physically. Like if I don't take care of my body and the way I eat and the way I sleep, I become ill or or my energy gets low. And, and I really need to keep that in mind. And I know that I can't do it all. I can't go to Paris for a day which is an hour and a half away by train from where I live, but still go to Paris for the day, go come back, you know, have a kick-ass day the next day and, and go out and, you know, all this kind of thing. I need to pace myself. And everybody is different. I cannot tell you how to live your life, but it's about you building your awareness and thinking, taking your time to see how you work. And I work differently according to different seasons as well. I have more energy in the summer. I think that's such an important lesson because some of us just have this expectation that I did the workout yesterday. I was able to, you know, do a push up or do a handstand or whatever. So why can't I do it today? And we don't give ourselves that space and freedom to allow things to fluctuate like with seasons and with the weather. I'm also very sensitive to that. And for women, you know, we menstruate and we have cycle and, you know, the week of our cycle, we need to rest. Yeah. We need to take it slow. Our body swells. We, you know, we're all different. Yet, I think for a lot of us, we need to to be mindful about how we feel. 
Yeah. And I think the biggest lesson in everything you just said is giving yourself permission to say no. No, I can't go to Paris this weekend. I'm going to stay home and I'm going to rest and I'm going to be still. This is the hardest part, saying no. Yeah. I know personally, I want to say yes all the time. (laughs) But the hardest part is to say no and to not beat yourself up for missing missing on what you're not going to do. And to realize that probably you're better off where you are right now. Agreed. I think that's a big piece of it too, is then not beating yourself up or second guessing yourself up after the fact. Exactly. Mm, I love that. So Vanessa, if our listeners want to learn more about you as a coach, you and see your jewelry collection, how would they connect with you? So I have, um, I have two websites. My jewelry website is vanessacandioti.com. So it's V-A-N-E-S-S-A-K-A-N-D-I-Y-O-T-I.com. And we'll have all this on the Vuavant website, listeners. And then my coaching website is the jewel process. So like a jewel jewelry. And um, yeah, you can email me from either at Vanessa at Vanessa Candy OT or Vanessa at the jewel process. And I always work with clients. You know, I give a free session at first to see whether we're compatible, how it works and, you know, just to get a taster. And then, yeah, there's no strings attached. We, we can work session by session. I like that because I think coaching and even, you know, visiting a therapist, that type of thing, it's a lot like dating where it has to be a good fit. Definitely for both parties. Yes, def- I agree with that too. And um, just for our listeners, kind of a personal aside. So I have one of Vanessa's pieces and I, Vanessa, I think I've told you this, but just to reiterate, I, there's not a day that goes by, I wear it every day. And there's not a day that goes by where somebody doesn't stop me and ask me about my necklace and tell me how beautiful it is. Oh, yeah. So my necklaces, um, I do I do empowering jewelry. So being originally Turkish, what you wear is an evil eye. So it's supposed to wear off the bad energy around you. And uh, yeah, it's with precious stones. And and it's these are pieces my clients and myself, we never take it off. We do everything in it. And I just love the simplicity, yet the sophistication and the the, the messages in them. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. And listeners, thank you. If you would like to learn more about Vanessa or any of our guests, please go to bemovingforward.com. That's bemovingforward.com. Thanks. We'll see you next week. And Satnam. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and bemovingforward.com. All rights reserved.